welcome to the Slices podcast, bringing you pieces of the world through lived experiences. Hello, welcome to the Slices podcast. I am your host, Gracia, or Grace, as some people like to call me, either or works. Um, Today, I'm going to be speaking to a very good friend of mine, Um, maybe more of a pen pal. I haven't seen her for a long time, but we do speak (laughs) a lot on Instagram. Um, So I'll be joined by Raga today. Um, She's going to be talking to us about her her upbringing, Raga is sort of my global citizen, if you'd like, if you'd like to say. Um, she's, you know, she's grown up in different countries. She speaks um, a few languages and, you know, she's had um, a really cool background. Um, and I thought it'd be great for her to come on and share that with you. So welcome, Raga. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it's really good to be on. And like you said, you're my virtual digital pen pal but I'm someone who I've had a lot of love for for years so thanks for having me oh I love you too girl (laughs) (laughs) so Raga before we start yes um, give us a a slice of Raga um anything if there's something your work you've been working on or just a book you you've recently read that you thought was really cool or a show that you've seen just anything that's you know that's a slice of Raga basically Okay, great. Well, at the moment, a big slice of Raga is um, trying to get my sanity out of like the current space that we're in with lockdown and, you know, constantly working. And what I've been trying to do is learning digital art. So I started trying to learn how to paint just to get out of, you know, that lockdown space. And it was very therapeutic, but I have to say my art was pretty crap. So I I moved on to digital art. I wasn't expecting that. It was. It wasn't great. It was very therapeutic. It was beautiful in some ways, but the reality was, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder. And in my eyes, it wasn't the best effort, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of friends who are amazing artists, so you can't really, you know, compare. So I felt like I wasn't, you know, doing my thing. So I moved on to digital art because on one hand, it's very similar to kind of the stuff that I do at work. I work a lot across digital and yeah. um you can kind of merge different imagery from artists that you love and like merge different designs and edit them. And, you know, I spend hours and hours literally just kind of editing digital art. And wow. um, I think it's amazing. And I'd like to progress to the next stage in that. So that's kind of been a big slice of my time and a big slice of me at the moment. So. Oh, I like that. A big slice of my time. So what's the next stage? Yeah. What's the next stage you'd like to progress to? The next stage is I am learning to kind of create images from scratch because often I overlay existing images and kind of create different backdrops and do a little bit of editing. But I'd like to actually create images from start. So I'm going to start doing a course on that next week. And I'll keep you updated on how that goes. Oh, cool. So you heard it here first, guys. If Raga does become a really famous (laughs) I'm going to monetize this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. Maybe you're my lucky charm, you know? The both of us. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you so much for joining us, Raga, and sharing your slides with us. So, uh, you want to give a, um, an intro about yourself, a bit about your background and your upbringing. I know we spoke briefly before, you know, this started about your name. So, maybe we can start with your name and then just go with that. Yeah, my name always causes a little bit of controversy because, um, you know, people are like, their name's Raga, really? Like, Raga, like Raga music? <laughs> Um, the truth is that's actually my nickname. So my actual name in Arabic is Raghad. Um, it's always been a very hard name to pronounce, even for the people who speak Arabic, actually. 
Um, it's not a very common name. Yeah. Um, but I think the story behind how I got the nickname in the first place is quite telling. So um, like I said, no one has ever managed to say my name properly. And when I was 10, a kid in my class in Paris was like, look, Raga, I'm tired of, you know, trying to say your name, Ragged, Ragged, I don't know how to say it. I'm just going to call you Raga from now on. And that's and that's how the nickname came about. I kind of liked it. I was like, and it was like with a French accent, like Raga. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I don't really know what it means, but I kind of <laughs> like it. And so it kind of picked up and it became a thing. And over the years, I realized that when I started introducing myself to people, I wouldn't actually say my actual name fully, but I'd be like, hi, I'm Raga. Yeah. And so that became a thing. But um, it's weird when you grow up a little bit and you think about like your culture of brand and who you are as a person. Yeah. Um, I started thinking, why have I never really corrected people? Because um, uh, Warsan Shire has a really cool poem that I really love. I don't know if you've uh, come across it, yeah. but in the poem, she she talks about giving your daughters difficult names. Oh, yeah. um, that command the full use of a tongue. Um, and she says, you know, my name doesn't allow me to trust anyone that cannot pronounce it right. And I think that's oh, wow. beautiful. And I've realized, Maybe. you know, it's really nice, isn't yeah. it? Um, and I just realized I've never really corrected people or, or, or you know, felt the need to. Um, I've embraced my nickname and I love it today. But I think in retrospect, it would have been interesting to try and see if people would try to say your name. And it's a huge thing now, you know, in our world today where yeah. people are trying to be more culturally aware so yeah and what does your name mean so it means a beautiful life (laughs) that's so fitting for you I wish that's so fitting (laughs) I always tell my parents you called me that but what if my life is not beautiful what do I do now (laughs) but yeah that's what it means basically okay so tell us a bit about your background your name is uh means a beautiful life in arabic so what's your connection to uh to the language so i'm originally from sudan um and in sudan's already an interesting place in itself that's actually where even the identity my identity crisis probably started so you know we i am from afro arab origin you know we're in africa but we have um arab heritage so we're mixed uh, but our culture is pretty much predominantly in the north. It's pretty much Arab. Yeah. Um, and so we speak Arabic because it's the first language. You know, our predominant religion is Islam and so forth. But the interesting part in that is I've actually never really lived in Sudan that much. I've lived there maybe for a year or two mm-hmm. max. Um, and I've had to move around from a very young age, um, you know, and lived across Africa, Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, yeah. but your Sudanese identity is somewhat a part of who you are, because, you know, when people ask you where you're from, it's always a bit of a confusing question for me, because it's like, mm, do you mean, like, my DNA, or do you mean yeah. where I live now, or, <laughs> so um, it's always been quite interesting, but, you know, already being from Sudan is interesting, because we're two different cultures mixing up, yeah. and, you know, for years and years, Sudan itself didn't really recognize itself, or people from Sudan often didn't really recognize themselves as Africans, which was very confusing to me. Because yeah. it's like, you're the biggest country in Africa, you're Black, it doesn't make sense. But um, I think there is a, an awakening with young people from the country that's coming that's super interesting. Mm. Um, and I would say that um, a different part of my identity crisis, which I now celebrate, is I spent the, the first few years of my life in Southeast Asia. Yep. Um, and the first language I ever spoke was actually Japanese. Oh, do you still speak any or understand any? <laughs> no, sadly, I don't speak any of it. But I do. When people speak Japanese, I can pick up 
some of what they're saying, it's really weird. I think it's a, your cognitive biases when you kind of yeah. learn a language as a kid. It just kind of sticks in your brain. So Japan, um, how long were you, how long were, yeah. well, how many countries have you lived in? <laughs> let, let, let's start from there and then we'll, yeah. <laughs> let's start from there. <laughs> so I think I've lived in about a dozen countries or a bit more. So um, started the few, the couple of years of my life in the beginning in, in countries like Japan, lived there for about two years, then lived in Indonesia for another two to three years, yeah. then Singapore um, for a year and a bit, and then kind of moved around from everywhere from like Algeria to France to Yemen to Egypt. So kind of hopped around a little bit, to be honest, yeah. and we used to move like every maybe two to four years, depending on uh, where my dad was going to be posted. Yeah. So um, it was at the time quite, it felt like normal life. But now that I look back at it, I'm like, that was not normal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, it comes with a lot of benefits, obviously, but it also comes with some drawbacks. Yeah. So, so starting, so how old were you when you were, you, when you were in Japan? Um, so this is where it gets even more interesting. Um, I was born in Sudan, yeah. and then we literally moved a week after. And um, uh, yeah, so then the first two years of my life were spent in Japan. Like it was, it was super fascinating because me and my sister actually spoke Japanese, but our parents responded to us in Arabic because mm. my mom didn't really speak Japanese. Um, my dad kind of did, but not fully. And so it was like this weird clash in a house where the kids kind of speak in Japanese and the parents are trying to understand what's going on because obviously we went to nursery there, yeah. right? And um, you'd hear stories like me and my sister would come back from nursery and my sister would get a bit get a bit of tape and she'll put it in her eyes and she'll say, oh, you know, I want to look like all the other kids, oh, yeah. you know? Ooh. And little things like that, because you're not, you're obviously, you don't really understand any better, but you're also seeing people around you that look a certain way, and you're like, what happened to my eyes? Why are they a bit bigger, you know? <laughs> so it was a fascinating time, and I think that, um, you know, most kids, and, and you know this as well, Grace, who have traveled a lot, um, tend to have different identities, and I like to use, like, the third uh, culture yeah. kids, so someone who comes from somewhere, lived somewhere, and embraces yeah. another culture. But I think that when it happens at a very young age, it could impact you even more because you almost try to embrace that other culture as your, your own first. And then you move around and you're like, actually, who am yeah. I? Over the years, I've made friends from like everywhere around yeah. the world. And the one thing that they always used to say is like, oh, Greg, it's so crazy. When you become friends with us, you kind of fully embrace our culture. You're like one of us. Um, and, you know, I hear this from my French friends, from my you know, Nigerian friends from my friends from Côte d'Ivoire. And it's just like, oh, you're one of us. And I'm like, what do you mean one of you? I just, I'm embracing your culture. It's part of what I do. So um, it's interesting. Yeah. So I was right. You are my, you are my global citizen guest. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned to embrace that term. So I'm a take I set, it. The, I set the tone <laughs> of the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> so you've spoken about you know the cultural aspect so when you were going to as you grew older and older you know when you're young people say you know children are like sponges so you know you're moving around mm -hmm. as a child you're take you're taking in all these different cultures quite easily but what was that like as you started to grow older and older and you're you know constantly moving around did you ever feel a desire to just stay and you know build relationships mm -hmm. or just settle in or how did that change or did it just remain a constant thing of you just absorbing different cultures? 
I think that definitely changes. Um, it changed for me for sure. And it's really interesting, again, speaking of siblings, it changed for my sister who's older than me yeah. first um, because she's obviously had to go through that quite quickly. And the way that she reacted to it was she kind of, she was still moving around doing stuff, but she kind of kept her uh, circles a little bit smaller because she was kind of tired of always having to make friends, always yeah. having to kind of step out of your comfort zone. And I think from my perspective, I have to admit that moving around wasn't always easy because, you know, your life gets disrupted. Just when you settle into school, you start making friends, you're, you know, kind of becoming part of the in crowd and you think your life is set. Your parents come and say, oh, we're moving in a week's time, you know? So you lose people, you lose memories. Um, it shapes you in very interesting ways, I think. And it could either go right or wrong, depending on how you take it. And, you know, I always talk about having uh, multiple identity crises. And it's true. But what I've learned is the, they're not necessarily crises. They're more like things that have embraced over the years that have shaped me to become the woman that yeah. I am in some ways. Um, and I think that I started noticing that change maybe when I was uh, 14. Okay. I was kind of like, oh, yeah, all this moving's kind of cool. But actually, like, I'm more interested in the African side of my Sudanese yeah. heritage. And I kind of want to go live in Africa. And I kind of started voicing that over to the point where in my family, they used to call me Mama Africa because they're like, oh, you're really pushing for that narrative. And I'm like, narrative. Yeah, I move to Africa. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not a narrative. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's our country. We go there. I'm like, yeah, but I want to go live in Africa. And they're like, where in Africa? Yeah. You know, Sudan. I'm like, no, not Sudan. I want to discover, you know, different places and so forth. And so my dad actually ended up taking me on a trip with him when I was 14. He was doing a lot of work. Uh, he was responsible for the Africa unit at the time in his work. And so he took me traveling with him across oh, Africa wow. for me to understand that side of who I am and all of that, because we hadn't really lived in Africa that much yeah. by then. Um, and that was super fascinating. And then I think, you know, that evolved to when I started my career and I started using my Arabic language. I ended up working a lot in the Middle East and North Africa and, you know, London kind of became home yeah. to me as well after university. So it's like, you really, you don't have a set time when you have one culture and one yeah. defined thing. It kind of comes in ebbs and flows, but then you start to understand who you are a little bit better in the sense that I know that after that trip with my dad across Africa, I started to delve a little bit more into my heritage, my background, my DNA oh, my, yeah. in ways that I don't think I've ever thought about before. Yeah. So. so where in Africa, where did you and your dad go? Like, where did you guys travel to? So we ended up going to Ghana, Nigeria. We went to Cote d'Ivoire, yeah. Senegal. Uh, we ended up going to um, Egypt, yeah. of course. We were in Sudan. Uh, we also went to Morocco uh, and uh, Uganda. And I think, yeah, those were the main countries we went to because it was part of his work process as well. So he was just kind of taking me around with him to understand what's going on. And, um, you know, I didn't see as much as I would have loved to see because he was always working, but it still gave me an opportunity to kind of feel a different environment that I hadn't necessarily been in apart from Sudan because our parents used to take yeah. it every year. Um, they kind of wanted to ensure that we kind of understood where we came from. It doesn't matter where we went. Um, and that was kind of my biggest ex experience going to Africa. So it was quite nice to kind of get like a more in-depth yeah. tour 
Um, and then I ended up working across the continent yeah. after, so that was. Cool. So what's your what's your relationship like with Sudan now? You know, like uh, we know that a lot of uh, there's been a lot of changes in Sudan yeah. politically, yeah. culturally. So what's your relationship like mm-hmm. now with the country? You know, um, I think a lot of the changes that have happened over the years have obviously been really hard for the country in terms of, um, you know, the civil war and beyond the unrest and everything. But it's actually positive changes in that. I think that people in Sudan are finally owning up to kind of what they want from a political system, but also culturally understanding that a, a big part of our identity crises were shaped through politics and through territorial yeah. disputes, um, as opposed to us embracing the fact that we come from mixed communities and this is a part of who we are. And I, I see that a lot. And I see that a lot with young yeah. people. Like the creativity around it is absolutely beautiful. And I saw during the revolution how young people just kind of were the leading forces behind it. And it was super inspiring. I think my own personal relationship with Sudan was I've always been quite attached to it because our parents took us every, yeah. every year. And um, out of my siblings, I'm the only one who was born there. So we always used to have this running joke, like I'm the only true student <laughs> in the house. Um, so I have quite a, a strong relationship with it from a sense of like a place that I want to identify with. But I have to be honest, when I go to Sudan, I feel like a foreigner. Mm-hmm. I feel like a stranger uh, in many ways because... I obviously have never really fully lived there apart from the years our parents took us back to learn Arabic. I don't necessarily, I probably know more people in London or in other cities like Paris than I do in Sudan. Um, And everyone I know is through my parents or, you know, friends that I've met abroad who moved back. Um, And so my relationship with the country is, is a really weird one of like, this is my 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 kind of heritage and I have a deep link to it and I want to go back and do stuff there. But at the same time, I don't always feel at home when I go there. I feel more like someone who is a visitor who's trying to find yeah. a home, you know? And it is weird because I don't think anywhere is necessarily home for me when people ask me that question, but I've always wanted it to be Sudan. But the truth is, you know, when you go there, I'm always seen as like, yeah, the international yeah. kid or the person who doesn't really know the Sudanese ways yeah. of being or X, Y, and Z. So it, it's 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 weird to feel that in your own kind. Yeah, of- I agree. I it's definitely I definitely agree. It's like going back to Congo and people being like, oh, the British girls here, and um, oh, yeah. how are you how are you finding the heat and and you know these questions, yeah. and you're just and you're just like, oh, I, I'm aware, I'm aware that I've you know I'm I didn't grow up here, or even though I was born here, like you, I was I was born um, in Congo. It's just that yeah. you want to go back and you want to learn, but th- sometimes you find the things you're interested in. People there are like, why do you, why do you want to know that? <laughs> you and you know, little things like you say, oh, I want to go to like the waterfalls in this area, and they're like, why are you yeah, being such a tourist? And it's like, I am. Well, <laughs> I am a tourist. <laughs> yeah. Literally. It's a bit complex, but I'm a tourist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's always that feeling exactly. of, you know, and then you're here in the UK and people are like, so where are you really from? Exactly. And, you know, I, I think, though, over the years, I don't know what you think about this, but I think that this issue has become more of a, of a there's a positive twist yeah. to it now. Like 10 years ago, that feeling of not having a home and not having an identity it was kind of looked yeah. down upon a little bit when travel wasn't as prominent and people weren't as, you know, cross-cultural and multicultural in their endeavors, including, you know, 
people never used to travel as much as yeah. they do now, at least from they did, but not in the same glamorized yeah. way, I would say. And so, and also, you know, biracial couples and all of that, I think there's been a lot of change that has made it, you know, you, you no longer feel like you're alone in that feeling of like, hey, I'm not really from yeah. anywhere, but I'm from everywhere. Whereas previously, I remember like just 10 years ago, Grace, or maybe 15 years ago, people used to be like, oh, you're lost. You're not sure if you're Arab or African or European or your American accent or you're French. And I'm like, it, you know, if I let it get to me, it could have been a proper issue in terms yeah. of identity crisis. But I think in today's world, it's a bit glamorized mm-hmm. to be that that international but people need to understand that it comes with a lot of issues and i think as children i think we did it to each other somebody um doesn't speak their language or somebody's not aware of a dish in their in their country it's oh you're not you're not really Mm -hmm. you're not really Congolese. you're not really sudanese you're not really Ghanaian. you're not really jamaican it was we did it to each other and it was like and who knows what what how that sort of exasperated somebody's identity crisis because everyone's telling them yes. you're you don't know what this is you're not really this and that person may mm-hmm. already be struggling mm-hmm. but we you know as children we're none the wiser mm-hmm. but who knows the effect that then had on that person so yeah it's quite um it's 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 a big thing and like i said it could either go, you can either take it positively and celebrate it or it could can yeah. go completely wrong. yeah and i think now it's you're right it is celebrated much more when you're having to explain like who you are to people and why you oh. speak these languages people are naturally mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's so cool. That's really, oh, how did, how did that happen? And I do find that when you go to different countries, your identity also changes. So when I go, when I'm on holiday, if I'm in America, I have to explain that, yeah, I'm British, but I'm also Congolese. Or people assume that if I say I'm Congolese, if I say I'm Congolese in the UK, people don't assume that I've come directly from Congo. When I go to, for when I'm in France or when I go to America or any holiday, I have to explain, oh, actually... Uh, yeah I'm Congolese like via Britain like it's really weird because people automatically yeah. assume like last <laughs> time I went to Guadeloupe and I was with my friend's family and yeah. they kept asking me so many things about oh do you have this fruit in Africa do you have this and I was like I've never seen this in my life <laughs> <laughs> so I had to keep like taking pictures of things and sending it to my mom I'm like mommy do they have this in Congo tell me quick what is this <laughs> That is, you know, actually, that's a really good point about having to tell different stories. Over the years, I'm not going to lie, I I told a lot of white lies just to just keep it simple in the sense that, for example, like sometimes when I'm in Sudan, my own country, people think I'm from Ethiopia. And then I have to explain to them while speaking to them in Arabic that I am actually Sudanese. And some people are just like, no, you just learned how to speak Sudanese Arabic. And I'm like, okay. Ethiopian or um, I think I think they probably think I look Ethiopian, which I was like, if you say that, that's a compliment. Yeah. Ethiopian women are beautiful, I will take that. But I think it's um it's the way that I look, it's probably also because my mannerisms are probably different from some people that they might meet. And so automatically their association is you're not from here, and the next closest thing is okay. you're Ethiopian, right? Um, and so that's super interesting. And then sometimes when I'm in London, people are just like, oh, are you American? And usually I'm like, maybe I should say I'm not. But sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm not about <laughs> to explain where I'm from and for like five minutes to someone I don't know. And it's a long conversation. I sometimes say, yeah, yeah I'm from Brooklyn. Oh my gosh, I got that. <laughs> and so it just sometimes gets complicated. And sometimes I'm like, you know, no, no, no. I'm going to tell this person, hey, I'm from Sudan. 
but yeah. home is the UK and actually maybe a few other places when I choose to be and yeah. it's okay, you know? So it's, yeah. it's fun. So speaking about home, which country do you, do you, would mm-hmm. you say shaped you the most and why? Ooh, that is actually really, really difficult because um, I generally think that your formative yeah. years as a child help shape you. But obviously some of it I remember, some of it I don't. I think two countries that I, I definitely stand out and kind of making me who I am are, are okay, the UK yeah. and France. Um, the France, because um, it was my teenage years, you know, um, kind of lived a little bit of a, in a protected bubble for a long time before realizing how France is like yeah. more broadly. And I still love... Um, Paris and the people that I know, but I think it was only by growing up that I realized some of the racism or some of the things that happened in France that I was kind of blind to as a child. And I think that helped me realize the world is not always rosy. So that was a big eye opener for me. Um, And I think that the UK, London is the place that I've I've spent the longest time in ever. Um, I've moved away. I moved, you know, I move and I come back and move and I come back. And the weirdest thing is it's the only place that anytime I move, I, I, I miss kind of like, I miss yeah. it and I want to go back. Um, it hasn't happened to me with a lot of countries. Um, I love Paris. I go there a lot because my parents live there, but I feel like London became more of that for me. And, um, you know, I, I spent, you know, my, my kind of yeah. young adult life here, went to university in the UK and then my work career yeah. was established in London. So in many ways, it is probably the place where, I've established who yeah. I am as a woman, um, as opposed to a teenager. So it, it's a it's a key place yeah. for me for sure. Um, but I would say, as you know, as someone who it's going to sound very cliche, but I think you take something from every place you go, yeah. every person that you meet. Um, honestly, and sometimes you're not aware of it, but years later you say something or you think something, and it's like, oh, I remember it's that random conversation I had with that guy in that street in Delhi. You Girl, know? what guy? Um, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, there was a conversation I had with a guy in Delhi that I always comes back into my head. <laughs> you just dropped it in so randomly. Yeah, you were just like, what guy? No, but I'm saying it's like that, even things like that could influence you, you know? But I'd say London, if I had to yeah. go outside the Paris or London, I'd say And that. how did moving around affect your, well, not maybe affect, maybe, is that the right word? How did it shape your relationship with your parents? How did they sort of help you and your siblings with all those different mm-hmm. transitions? I actually think if it wasn't for our parents, we would be one yeah. very confused two very insecure and three probably um completely like unhappy with yeah. who we are as people uh which is linked to being insecure I think the reason I say that is that I'll take the example I gave you earlier about when you're in Japan we used to like yeah. try to take in our eyes my mom even as kids would sit us down and explain to us why we're different why our skin is different why hair is different and then guide us through why oh. it's beautiful and why it's actually good that we are who we are. And I think that that really helped um, kind of build our confidence to kind of feel like we're not different or weird in any setting. Because, you know, let's be honest, the 90s in Southeast Asia is like yeah. a black family. You mm. will stand out, right? And we did stand out. And, you know, 
not just in Asia, but in other places too. And, you know, sometimes me and my sister talk about this. We've gone through situations where if I, if I go through it today, I'd say it's racism. But back then it was just kind of, you kind of, you're not yeah. really aware of it because you're young and because you're just like, yeah. no, people can't be that mean. But I think our parents were aware of it and they, their mechanism of dealing with that was to assure us that we are beautiful people, we are great humans, and that we're not better than anybody, but nobody's better than us. And I think that really helped shape who we are um, as people. And I think the other thing is that they recognized that the transition would be difficult from like ed- an education perspective and all that. So my mom actually for a very long time kind of paused on her work to ensure that homeschooling was, you know, even though we went to school, there was still, she was still at home to ensure that we're actually keeping up with the new place we're in and that we understand what's going on and all of that. So they were very supportive in that sense. Um, But, you know, I sometimes do wonder what it would have been like if I just lived in Memphis for a long time. Yeah, it sounds like it was was also (laughs) your parents, your parents were also going through different transitions as well with your mom having to, you know, be more flexible regarding her work so that she's there for you. So just absolutely. a whole series of different transitions yeah, for the children and the family for the family unit yeah absolutely you know it requires adaptability honestly if you don't adapt you can't you can't really survive in that that kind of lifestyle and I think that it teaches you to be adaptable down the line so like you can be thrown in any any awkward situation or a great situation or any place and you'll manage to be okay because you've kind of been yeah. taken out of your comfort zone so many times. Yeah. So. And I guess that's for you, that's like a key asset that you have for, you know, going through education to your career, that level mm-hmm. of adaptability that you mm-hmm. picked up throughout your whole life has come in handy. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, again, another cliche that people say and, and a big one, but like adaptability is so key, particularly in the field that I work in, you know, it's international uh, feel that work in political consultancy so you have to adapt or you're gonna <laughs> die right so I think so having that <laughs> literally literally <laughs> I don't mean die guys there's no death I'm joking <laughs> um but I mean you you yeah. just not survive the kind of different things that are thrown at you and like I look at the people in my field and everyone's quite adaptable quite um willing to kind of go through changes and all of that. I think actually also uh, what I've realized over the years is that, you know, everyone usually says, you know, um, survival is about being the fittest, but actually I think survival is about adapting to change. And we're seeing that today in the world with COVID, right? Um, We're surviving by adapting to change. And usually people are like, yeah, humans, it's very hard for them to change their minds or their behaviors. But actually when, push comes to shove we got to do what we got to do we got to adapt to new yeah. situations to survive so. yeah you're right so we, we've we've touched on the family units career work so you being in London for 13 plus years as you said for you that that's quite a long time so how did you find the transition to moving around and then being in one place but also now building friendships because you know you're moving schools you see someone for two to three years and then you're out and not just out down the road you're in a completely different um time zone (laughs) so how was building sort of you know lasting friendships for you being in one place at the same time did you did you find it difficult did you find it easy what were the sort of the waves of friendship what was that like for you it hasn't it hasn't really felt like I've been stuck in one place for so long 
Um, but I would say that the friendships point is really important because if you ask me where the majority of my closest friends are, yeah. I would say London. Um, and the reason for that is, look, uh, I'm going to be honest, like over the years, I've always tried to stay in touch with people. But yeah. imagine over all these moves, it's yeah. so difficult to maintain contact with everyone at the same level. I, I still do, like when I travel to places, my friends in New York, I go see them. When I go, you know, to other places, I go see them. But keeping that deep touch of what goes on in your life day to day with people who are all over the world, it is so, so hard. And I think as you grow older, you understand, you mature, and you understand adult relationships yeah. aren't about speaking every day. It's about keeping in, in touch in the small yeah. ways, just like we do, you know? Um, and but London does definitely have the majority of, of the people that I have met. And I think those are friends that I've made either from school, yeah. university or work. And they tend to have similar kind of, um, you know, they're not necessarily exactly like me, but they have, you know, that kind of willingness to open up to cultures, be from everywhere. It doesn't matter where they're from. London's kind of the hub for them. And I think for people like us, you want to live in a hub like London mm -hmm. or Paris or all of that, because you then meet like-minded people that you can develop very strong relationships with. Um, I think the truth is uh, having too many friends across too many places means that you can never concentrate on just a few. Like I would have loved to have best yeah. friends since I was like five. I know people that have that. And I'm like, I would love that. But, you know, my best friends are people who ranged me knowing them from, like, when I was maybe 10 to people that I've met yeah. maybe, like, three years ago, you know? And it's not about when we've met. It's about what kind of relationship we have and what we might have yeah. gone through to get us there. I definitely relate because I've got, like, um, friends and family all over the world. And sometimes you just think, sometimes somebody yeah. will reach out to you and you think, oh, my gosh, I completely forgot you existed. And not in a horrible way. Exactly. It's just... <laughs> I just don't think about this person. <laughs> I haven't spoken, thought about exactly. it in such a long time. It, it is quite hard. And I think up until maybe two, three years ago, I think I thought I was doing quite a good job at maintaining, but it does get to a point where some relationships, unfortunately, do have to become light touch. Yeah. And it's not because you don't like the people anymore. It's just circumstance in life. And, you know, um, you know, just like you, Grace, I'm somebody who gives like 100% to my relationships, yeah. particularly my girlfriends. I love my girlfriends. But then you realize you can't do that across borders, across like 35 people all the time. When, when life takes over as well, you know, you grow up and you're working and, you know, the stresses of life and all of that come into the way. And so you're like, I yeah. hope they understand that I love them, that I'm thinking of them, yeah. but it just... Yeah, it just becomes, it sort know? of becomes life events. So, so you'll travel for their weddings yeah. I've traveled for baby showers. Exactly. I've traveled for Christmas. Exactly. You try to be there exactly. in the most important <laughs> times in their lives because you can't be there every exactly. day and you can't speak to exactly. them every day. Um, so when you do catch up, it's like, exactly. oh my gosh, you have like a long two hour catch up. And then you don't speak to them for two years. <laughs> so I forgot to ask, this is something I should have asked way earlier when we were speaking. How many languages do you speak slash understand? Um, so I speak Arabic, French, and English, and I understand Spanish. I actually used to be really good at Spanish. I just haven't practiced it over the years. So wow. I don't say I speak it anymore. It's like very basic. I just fully understand. I can actually also read. Um, but I speak Arabic, French, and English fluently. Um, I really wish I could have kept the Japanese, but yeah. hey, my parents did not nurture talent in us then. So. <laughs> <laughs> I they were building your confidence. <laughs> <laughs> what more? 
<laughs> you know, to be fair to them, I'm saying this about them, but even with the Arabic, they used to force us to go to, to Arabic Sunday school because oh. obviously we never lived in Arab countries and our, it was never our first language. And I remember I used to hate them for that. I used to like argue back and say, what is Arabic ever going to do to me in my career? Nobody speaks Arabic. <laughs> and you know what? Actually, I have used it so much in my career and it's helped me so much in life generally. So yeah. I'm thankful to my parents for that. So have you, have you thanked them? No, I haven't, but maybe I'll <laughs> make them listen to this. <laughs> Send them this recording. <laughs> exactly. You know, you don't want them because you know, my, our key narrative with them is that you, you, oh, you made our life hellish by making us move around. I can't just go back and say, thank you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of, it's like your brand, you know, the rebellious. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> you gotta act like you know you you are just kind of going, still going through an identity crisis, so you can get away with things. You know, it's just part of the process. Yeah. So, so do do you and all your siblings speak Arabic and French and English, or do some do some speak more languages? Yes. Some speak less. Uh, yes, we all speak those core three languages. My brother speaks Spanish um, way oh. better than any of us. And my sister speaks Italian. So they oh. have, yeah. they're better than me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. You know, it's a middle child thing to be the yeah. victims, apparently. Yeah. So <laughs> It is. I have, I have a middle child sibling. <laughs> hey, hey, we're neglected. That's why we do this. Yeah, I'll set up a <laughs> podcast for the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be fun I'll tell you that <laughs> oh oh wow well Brenda, thank you so much it's been such a, be- a beautiful conversation I've really enjoyed talking to you I've learned some things about you that I didn't know um so yeah it's been really great and I hope I hope you've had a good time I hope I've been a I've been a good host you've been a fantastic host and oh. you know it reminded me of how much um you make everybody laugh and you make everybody happy because this honestly took me from my day to day also made me consider things I haven't thought about in a while including like identity moving around it becomes part of your norm that you don't really really sit down and assess what that means for you so yeah. thank you for that oh thank you so much for coming on and thank that's you great. all to everybody out there that's listening um please of course leave comments reviews of what you thought of the episode and what identity means to you after listening to Raga speak about her identity and how that shaped her um thank you very much once again Raga and bye everyone bye